As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman and Chris Peters of Flow Hockey for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. We've got a really fun show today. Lots of good topics here, but I want to start, Chris, with the Frozen Four. We're maybe, admittedly, a couple days late on the news cycle here, but hey, we, we, we publish on Friday. So, uh, Chris, what's uh, obviously Quinnipiac wins the championship. Thrilling game. What's your biggest takeaways out of out of the Frozen Four this year? Oh, man. I mean, what a what an incredible finish to that tournament. I mean, I think that the we, we talked so much about the first round being such a complete dud of a, of a you know, a start to that tournament, but, you know, we got this great frozen four. Um, I think it was a great example of the different ways that teams build their, their, their teams in co- yeah. programs, build their teams in college. Whereas, you know, Quinnipiac, it was kind of a perfect storm because they had, they had seven fifth year seniors on the team, guys that took the extra year of COVID eligibility. And while they were older as a, as a team than Minnesota, they weren't one of the oldest teams in college hockey. It wasn't simply just, you know, a bunch of guys, you know, I know I, Zach Metza had a great tweet yesterday responding to somebody that said, 
shouldn't you have gotten like a real gotten into the real world or something? I was like, take, I mean, it took me four and a half years to finish college, but he actually went and got a master's and then won a national championship. So, so I think he made the right call, but you know, but I, I think you look at Minnesota, they have all the draft picks, the, the tremendous talent on their roster and, and, and that got them there. They had a, a veteran blue line that was in, incredible. Um, you know, that they probably felt as close and they were minutes away from winning a national championship the first in 20 years. But, you know, I think that uh, the other thing that, that, that Quinnipiac winning proves is, you know, there's still a, a high value on defensive minded hockey. There is, uh, you know, you, you still have to have skill, which they did. They won on skilled plays. Their, their yep. top scorers came through for them at big moments. Um, you have to have some aggressiveness like Rand Pecknold pulling the goalie a year after it completely burned him against Michigan in the tournament. Um, you know, so, so that was fascinating to me. And then, you know, certainly they had the goaltending uh, Peretz was outstanding for, for the entire season, got a contract out of it as a result. Um, but, uh, you know, I'd say that for, for me, the, the biggest takeaway there is that, you know, Quinnipiac was, it was a team that, that kept chipping away. They got close a couple of times before they didn't change drastically anything. And, you know, they've had a coach that's been with the program for 29 years and they're national champions as a result because they they, they had a formula, they stuck with it, and and eventually it paid off um, despite a lot of doubts of, that it ever would. But but it did against, you know, and they, they bounced Min- Michigan one night and Minnesota the next night. I mean, that's that's a tremendous way to win a championship, if it, a, a first national title ever for that school in any sport. A pretty iconic winning goal too, like right off that opening face off at overtime, it, that's going to really stand the test of time as a, as a historic uh, championship winning kind of golden goal. Um, but the, uh, my, my question for you is what is the better winning sequence off the opening face off, having come back at the end of regulation off the opening face off, you go and you win the national championship or the Mason McTavish swat the puck off the goal line puck goes the other way and you win the, the championship. What is the better finish? Oh boy. They're equally shocking, I'll tell you that much. Um I I'd, I'd have to say the the better finish is the is the is the Canada game because it was you are literally inches, not even inches away from winning the gold medal, upsetting a tremendously gifted Canadian team and you know having to battle back in that game as as Finland did and then you know, then you've got Kent Johnson on a, you know, just a, a, a good rush, a skill play gets the rebound. That's all she wrote. Um, you know, definitely the more fluid play was the the earlier one, but I'd say that yeah. the more crushing way to lose, uh, which is a factor in dis- determining which is the more iconic goal. I, I'd, I'd have to go with that, that Canadian finish. In terms of like that overtime goal in the frozen four, like the play was nice off the face off, but I think part of it was just because the right defenseman, Yes. Off the draw by Minnesota just massively misplayed their gap, essentially, and, and led to kind of the opening there at the net. You know what else Rand Pecknold said? He said that <laughs> uh, earlier in the game, they tried to run that play, and Brock Faber picked it off. He wow. Well, so. it's, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty, I mean, I don't think the play itself is anything that special. It was just that uh, defenseman just. The response was, completely, yeah. Completely just screwed up their assignment, essentially. So, obviously, this being a prospect show, I do want to talk about a couple of the prospects that, that were in the Frozen Four, and especially in this national championship game. 
One of them uh, is a guy who who we could see sign uh, at some point in, in the coming days, weeks, or months, and that, that's Colin Graff. He was the nation's third leading scorer this season. Uh, can you can you both kind of give like what's the outlook for a guy like Colin Graff, who's a really talented offensive player, uh, but at the pro level, Corey, we'll start with you here. Like, what what's kind of the the pro upside here for a guy like Colin Graff? I think he's kind of what you look at as, as like a typical college free agent, and guys typically go unsigned if they're a bad skater or they're undersized. Those are those are typically the, the two variables that if you are an offensive guy and you are undrafted, those are two main reasons. And in Graf's case, it's the skating. Uh, his pace will be an issue for the NHL. Uh, think of, say, Taro Hirose or that kind of player, yep. for example. I think he'll get games. Whether he's actually going to stick and have an NHL career, You know, we'll see. I think he's probably an American League guy. But given how good a year he had and the quick tra- upward trajectory, this is a guy who was in the NCDC a couple of years ago, and now he's on the biggest stage and one of the best players in college hockey, I think he will definitely get an NHL contract and some games. And the one-year jump he made, right, from his freshman year at Union to, to what he put up at Quinnipiac is kind of unheard of, Chris. Did you see a big transformation in his game, or is this kind of a rising tide factor? Well, I can't say I watched a ton of Union that year. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so it's 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 tough to say. But, you know, I, I would say that, you know, for, for him, getting into the right situation was a big key factor as well. You know, a team that needed offense, that team that, that had some some skill up front, but but desperately needed some more of it. You know, he, he definitely brought that. And I mean, you know, in his junior career, he was a very productive player, but playing in, in you know, pretty you know, tier three junior hockey, essentially in, in the U S. So um, that's the other thing is like, you know, guys just don't get drafted out of those ranks and, you know, they're there for a reason typically. Um, but, you know, I would say that for, for him, um, you know, the, the, the year to year jump is absolutely a big factor. If I, you know, I think you got to kind of go when, when, when there's offers there, um, you don't know if they'll be there. If I were him, he's only 20, you know, like he is not, if he is not like, I think if he goes to the, tries to go to the NHL right away, you know, he's looking at a, at a longer term, you know, kind of slug, slugging it out in the AHL. Um, you know, I'm not, I would never tell a guy not to take money, you know, yeah. not to take an opportunity, a professional job. Um, but you know, I don't think there's enough evidence there for me to say, okay, well, this guy is going to make it for sure. And a lot of these college free agents, that one contract they get right after their college free agent season is the only contract they get. And it's they're either in Europe or they're in, you know, in a lower level of professional hockey. You know, that that might be the only NHL deal they get. So if I'm Colin Graff, I think the offers will still be there. Um, but I, I don't think I don't anticipate he's going to be sticking around with with the opportunities that are in front of him right now. The other one, uh, so I mean, there's many prospects in this game, but I wanted to pull one up from our mailbag here. Ben S. wants to know what to expect out of Brock Faber next year as he turns pro and he changes from past evaluations uh, after his latest college season. Uh, you know, Faber is obviously one of the guys who we expect uh, we, we could see him in this playoffs for Minnesota. Yeah, I think long term he's a second pair defenseman in the NHL. Uh, the offense I don't think is ever really going to be a big selling point. Definitely not a power play guy in the NHL by any means. And if he's not a power play guy and he's 5'11", 6'0", that's typically not the most inspiring profile in the right. world. But I, where I think he kind of breaks the mold is I think, one, he's an exceptional skater. And I think the competitiveness is very good. And there's enough hockey sense and puck moving ability for him to be first pass, you know, uh, capable in the NHL and make the occasional tough play. But I think because his skating and his compete are so good, uh, he will be able to make stops in the NHL. He'll be able to be a, re- a reliable, like I said, second pair defenseman in the NHL who can kill penalties. 
Yeah, I'd agree. I just, I just want like I think you know I think he could play minutes, significant minutes in the playoffs if called upon. Um, you know, and I, I, I think that he's he's there already. Um, he's had you know some higher level uh, experience. He got to play in the Olympics. He's gotten to play you know, at the World Juniors and different things and be a be a significant player. Um, you know, to me, throughout the entire season, you're watching a lot of college hockey. There wasn't a single defenseman, you know, out there in terms of you know, just pure defending that I would trust more than him at this point. It's it's interesting analogy between him and Matt Dumba, who we aren't completely sure has a long-term future in Minnesota going forward because they're both right shot defensemen. They both have similar frames. They both skate extremely well and have physicality. I would, although I would say Dumba has a little bit more pure offense in his game than Faber, but it's an interesting, maybe long-term kind of plug in to the, to that role we could see with Faber. We could do a whole segment, if we're honest, on, on the Minnesota roster here. Well, I'll just I'll breeze through a couple really quickly. Matthew Nice turns pro. He's played his first pro game, now got his first pro point. Uh, Jimmy Snuggerud's going to come back. That's going to be really interesting to follow a year from now. But I want to pivot off with Logan Cooley here, Corey, because you did an article this week uh, kind of reshaping up the, the debate for number one overall. And at the time, it was Uri Slavkovsky versus Shane Wright was the big debate. And your contention after one year is... Probably still a lean Slavkovsky at number one, but the guy who the debate would now be with is with Logan Cooley. Right. And I think you kind of saw, you saw the pool of players. You saw Cooley, Simon Nemich, Cutter Goche, David Yurichek, Kevin Korczynski, no Slavkovsky, but you saw that group of players together at the World Juniors. Just, yeah. it's not, this evaluation is about more than just the World Juniors, but I think if you watch them all at the World Juniors, I think who the guy that emerged from that pack would have been Cooley. I think Yurichek was great in that tournament, but I think you watched Cooley among those group of players and you thought this guy is the most dynamic. This guy creates the most. He can carry a line. He can carry a team when he, when he's really on. And I, and you kind of saw that with Minnesota too. I mean, it's not common, and I'm sure Chris can attest to this, about for a guy who's 18 to step in as a freshman and do the things Logan Cooley did this season. He was one of the very best players on one of the very best teams. He was, uh, you know, that line was uh, dynamic night in and night out. And he was the driver often. And he doesn't have the size, but everything else about his game says, I'm going to be a really good NHL forward for a very long time. He probably yeah. wins the Hobie Baker if it's not for for Adam Fantilli. If, if you know, I don't know how the voting actually tallied out here. I guess. But. I, I, yeah, I'd assume I'd assume he was the runner up. You know, and but who who really knows? I yeah. mean, we I heard a lot of plenty of things coming out of the <laughs> the Hobie debate uh, out of that. But but to to Corey's point, and you know, I mean that you know there there are some people that might have had him number one last year. But you know, I, I would say that. Uh, I don't know who that is, but um, but anyway, he's trying to, he's trying to say he had him number one. Yeah, no, I but, remember, I mean, he, but, he, but let's not take he, he, let's not take victory laps on good freshman seasons. Well, but uh, well, I'm not, I, well, I wouldn't take a victory lap because I don't think he's the best player from the draft. I still think it's Slavkovsky. So it's, yeah, I in think my you're opinion, wrong. But it, like that, yeah. So that's Corey taking there. a victory lap that he's still with his guy too. Just, yeah, yeah. Just I so mean, we're I'll, clear here. Yeah, I'll take. Yeah, but 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 the one thing is, interestingly enough, now with Logan Cooley, is. He has not signed with Arizona yet. We don't know yep. officially one way or the other as we record this what he's going to do next season. Um and and I think most, you know, most most players with the type of season that he had would be a one and done player. Um mm-hmm. that that is typical of that that kind of season. However, it's also about the situation that you go into. I think there's also an element of, you know, being that close to a national championship and not winning it. Um there's also you have to consider 
Minnesota's going to lose its entire decor practically. Not 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 every single guy, but a good chunk of the decor that was a big reason that they they went on the run that they went on. Um, but I, I would say that, you know, what we've seen from Logan Cooley this year, it's not just that he was good in college. It's that as the year progressed, he got better. His best games were at the end of the season. His best oh, yeah. games were, like were he, in the in those key moments. Wasn't he like under a point per game through the first 10 games, something like that? He was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was he was pretty. I thought going into the World Juniors, it was like, you know, he's having a decent season. The second half, as we've seen with so many guys, I mean, Matt Boldy did this. Uh, Johnny Goudreau did this. Their second half of their freshman season, when they finally put it all together, things click for them and they just take off. And and I think that's what happened with Logan Cooley this year. And interestingly enough, you look at that line, that big line production, and I, like this is not to disparage Matt Nyes because he does a lot of things really well. But but there were 21 goals scored by Minnesota in the in the NCAA tournament alone, and Nyes had a point on one of them. Cooley was involved in like half of them. Yeah. So you know, like that's that's kind of where. There's, there's, you kind of look at, he was such a driver and and that was never more evident than it was at the end of the season. And for his size, which he is, he is on the lighter side here, on the shorter side here. He's pretty complete. You know, even for, for a 5'10 guy, he competes, uh, he makes a full ice impact to me. Yeah, I'd agree. And you know, the other thing, the thing, the one thing that I'd like to see him improve on is some of the decisions that he makes on zone entries are not always the best. Sure. He'll, he'll go into the middle. He makes plays that you absolutely will not make in the NHL. Um, and so that's maybe one element that could be cleaned up, but he is committed. He does. He's not, you know, no, he's not gonna be a shutdown center, but he is committed defensively. He gets back. He is aggressive. He's physical. He's a little bit mean. Like, you know, like he's not, no, you're not going to say he's like this physical presence, but he plays hard. And, and that I thought was another thing that really showed up late in the season. I mean, he even had a game ejection this year. So, you know, he's, you know, he's, he, he plays with a lot of passion and fire. Um, and I, I think sometimes he plays some of his best ha- hockey when he's mad. That must be why he didn't win the Hobie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause, cause, cause uh, Adam Fantilli had two and he only had one. So. I assume unanimous endorsement here on the on the Fantilli winning that right. No, no dissenters. No, I didn't yeah. think there should have even been a discussion, but that's where I was at. But yeah. you know, it, it is always weird with the Hobie, and, and they get you know. I I know that technically every award, every like award, has this in college sports where you get these other clauses that people want to decide how much to make of. But it was a pretty stellar season for them. I mean, the clauses. I just think I feel like that committee sometimes just has it in their mind that freshmen can't win it. Well, but they, but that's what the justification becomes, right? It's like, well, the Hobie's not just about X, Y, Z. It's like, yeah, okay. So, yeah. do you have something to say about his character or academic performance then, or, or is this just a uh, you know trying to hold out for you? You know, you, you don't know my mysterious reasoning for dissenting. Yeah, or what would Hobie think? The guy that hasn't been on planet Earth for more than a hundred <laughs> years. So that's all. It's, it's all, all fun and games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, anything else, Corey, especially on the, on this 2022 redraft article, I mean, you, kind of David Juracek in there, Shane Wright kind of in that next group, uh, trying to think who there was, was there one other name in there that I'm blanking on? No, those were the four. Like, I, okay, I, yeah. one, th- one name that I didn't put into the article that I think at least could have merited a passing mention was Korchinski. I feel okay. like, man, he was so good this season. Like you watched, I watched, I mean, we were watching a ton of WHL games all season just because that's <laughs> where all the draft prospects were. Um, but whatever you watched, uh, the Thunderbirds this season. Korchinski just jumps out at you. He is so talented with his skating and his playmaking, and he's got some good size. The defending and the physicality are never going to be the big selling points there. But, I mean, if you wanted to argue 
him over a year check. Like I, I'm not there, but I don't think it's crazy. Like I think you could argue Korchinski's the best defenseman in the draft right now. I think it's a little crazy, but not, but not, not insane. <laughs> Let's like, put it that way. I mean, there is there is nearly a full year difference in age between the two of them. He's a you know, Korchinski's a very young, uh, very fair. Uh, yep. Uh, I think it's oh four, and your yeah. check is a late oh three. So that's what part of the argument it is. And the skating, I said, I think it's just so dynamic that when he eventually gets to the NHL, whether it's next year or the year after, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what they do with Korchinski next season because I think as a pure player, he's ready to be an NHL player. Um, but given we're recording this as they're telling the world that Jonathan Taze is not coming back, yep. um, I'm yep. not really sure how much town's going to be on that team next season. Yeah, what I think situation is such an important thing, and I think that's the same thing with Logan Cooley as well. You know, Not just situation organizationally, where you're going to play, who you're going to play with, but but just kind of the, the aura around the team. Like Chicago is so early in the stage of, of this kind of teardown rebuild situation that, mm-hmm. man – Going into that negative environment, there were plenty of guys that have, have kind of gotten lost in those environments before. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind for both Cooley and for Korchinski. Go back, do a second year in college, do a thir- do another year in junior, go to your World Juniors again, especially for Korchinski, because Cooley had a top role for USA this year before Korchinski go and, you know, be the guy on Team Canada. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, we are back. And gentlemen, I would like to talk to you about the 2023 Calder Trophy, which does feel a bit inevitable at this point that it, it's got, already got uh, half of Matty Beneers' name on it. But there's a whole ballot here to fill out here. And I think there are some interesting conversations to be had down ballot. I guess I should, for cursory purposes, offer up to the group. Is there anyone who doesn't think Matty Beneers should win this award? I don't know. Chris didn't think so in the, in the fall. Has he God, changed his would, mind? Would you stop bringing that up? I was trying to be I was trying to be different. He was doing good radio. Yeah, I was doing good radio. And I've heard I've heard yeah, if we all agree it's not good. But but I will say you're right. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, the guy the most obvious guy at the beginning of the season appears to be the obvious guy at the end. I I would have zero objection to him winning and uh, you know, I I may have some control over that as well. So all right. So, yeah. OK, given that and I, and I have a vote as well, I guess we probably we probably can't be too declarative here for. I don't I have don't a vote. Exactly I can say whatever I want. Corey can say whatever he wants. OK, that's perfect. So let me give you a pool of guys that I've been debating between as I go over my ballot, Corey. And I slacked you this the other day as a gut check. So let's just do this right here on the show. For me, Owen Powers is a strong uh, number two. 
But then there's a big group that includes Jake Sanderson. It includes Mason McTavish. It includes Wyatt Johnson. And it includes Stuart Skinner, which the goaltending thing is always a little bit of a wild card here. Especially How would you parse age. that group? Yes. Yeah, at the age, the games play. Like Jack, I know they eventually went towards Skinner, but Jack Campbell obviously played a lot of games too. So that's an interesting kind of balancing act there. Could I, I, I agree with you that I think there is a gap from power to the next guy. But what is your rationale for why Sanderson is not closer to power? I think the first time I went through it, uh, he he was it was it was a group of three um, with a similar logic, big minute role on a team that got better. Um, I think maybe they ask a little less of Sanderson than Buffalo asks of power, but I don't think it's by a huge wide margin. So I, I'd be perfectly open to kind of putting him you know elevated as well. I think there's a good chance in my ballot that's how it ends up. I was surprised by power this season, just how quickly the offense like yep. stood out by how like the skill and the playmaking was evident in his game. And, it, and it's kind of started off a little slow. He had to, it kind of picked up as the year went along, I thought. But like, I mean, they both are big, good skaters. Power's bigger. Sanderson's a better skater. They both defend well. But like with power, like I was like, oh, okay, like. Obviously, this is Rasmus Dallin's power play, but man, like this guy's got legit offense in his game as well. Um, in terms of the rest of them, uh, like McTavish and, and Johnston are, are you know similar range in terms of pro prospects. But I think for me with Johnston, uh, I think you have to be really impressed this year by what he did on a really good team. This guy's a teenager. He he walks in the doors and makes the Dallas Stars right out of camp. He plays a big role, even strength and power play throughout the whole season as they have all the success they do have. And success is not the most important thing. You still have to look at how the player actually plays. And there are things that McTavish does better than Johnson, particularly when it comes to pace and, and entries. Uh, but I, I think what Johnston did this year was really, really impressive. On that too, like I've often thought, you know, in the years that I've voted, how much do I want to take into consideration the age of the rookie? I do think that has to be part of the discussion. And that to me is one of the reasons that I think Wyatt Johnston stands out so much, you know, obviously any, any time a rookie scores 20 or more goals, I think that's an impressive feat. It's especially impressive for a player like him. Um, and again, you know, I also think his whole backstory, I mean, you know, having lost the COVID year, still making it as a first round pick, all these different things. Very cool. I don't take that into consideration for, uh, for, for voting, but it's still, it's like, this is a, this player, you know, you have to kind of take that into consideration. Corey, I just, I wonder with you, because when in the work that we do, age is such an important factor, but you know, when we're talking about awards, how much of a factor do you think that should be? Maybe a tiebreaker at the very end. If they want it to be a variable, they should put it in the award. I mean, that's, that's how it's kind of where I stand on that. Like I, I get like, generally we are talking about young players because these are rookies. Um, you have the odd exception, like when a, a, a Russian comes over or in this case, a goalie, like a Skinner case. Um, I think you would approach goalies in this scenario, how you would approach them in the heart trophy discussion, where I think it needs to rise to a certain level of exceptionalism to, to win. Maybe you get votes, but to win, I think it needs to rise to a certain level of, of legit exceptionalism. And I, I still think you just vote for the best player. And if it's, I'm fine giving a tiebreaker to the younger guy, but I, I don't like inventing criteria. I agree. And, and we have this with, I have this with Michael Bunting and Lucas Raymond last year. Bunting was about as old as you could possibly be to be eligible for the Calder Trophy. And I know that became a little bit of a meme, but it, it was a legit consideration yeah. uh, for me. And I ended up 
going with him over Lucas Raymond because I, I just didn't want to invent a criteria. You tell me who the pool of players is, and I will say who I think had the best season. They were both outstanding. I guess um, you could kind of think about like what the purpose of the trophy is, and you could kind of say this is to highlight you know the star yeah. of the future. So I think that's where some people's mindset comes with it. It's perfectly mm-hmm. reasonable. But yeah, I if they want you to if they want you to say who had the best rookie season and will be the bit will be the biggest star of the future, they should they should tell you that. Yeah, one of the things with the, with the goaltending side of this too, Corey. I know you talked about kind of the how it ties with the heart. When I think about like. A lot of awards voting thing. I, I try not to make it too, you know, across the board because every award's a little different. But what's the harder piece to find in the NHL today? A guy who, like Wyatt Johnson, can score 20 goals and put up 40-ish points or a goalie who can give you a 914 save percentage over 49 games. To me, it is the latter of, of those for me. Yep, you're probably right. Uh, and I think if you look at like total value and who's actually the most valuable and like you look at like some of the analytics, I think your MVP discussion, you're like the top 15 of the top 20 would actually be goaltenders. Yes. So that's why I think we've made this calibration as voters when it comes to goalies. I guess it has to be a certain level of exceptionalism. Yeah. I mean, you know, the one guy that I think we're leaving out of the debate a little bit here, um, maybe unfairly, uh, is the guy that's leading in points per game among rookies this season in, in Matias Michelli. And, you know, yes. you look at that, the, the, there's a, a couple of mitigating factors to him as well. I think usage and also, you know, role and different things like that. And also not starting immediately in the NHL. He's got fewer games played. Um, but ultimately, you know, you look at the bright spots of this Coyote season and he's absolutely one of them. And now you have to feel like, hey, we've got a guy that can be a top six player. Um, you know, is he going to be I, I I haven't made my ballot and I don't want to you know give it away at this point. You know, we have it in in our possession now. But, uh, you know, I would say that. That's a guy that is very much in the discussion for me, um, you know, and again, it's one of the reasons why I brought up age earlier, too, is like, you know, we kind of look at these these different guys and we're, we're they're all at various stages of their development and things like that. But, you know, I think this is a this is a player that's had a, a pretty uh, interesting rise to the NHL and certainly, you know, as as a guy that, you know, not only leads in points per game, but is uh, second in even strength points as well, um, you know. I, I think he's had a really impressive season and it should be recognized in some way. I, I would, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see who the three forwards are that make up the all rookie team. Um, right. You know, cause I think you've got Johnston, you've got McTavish, you've got Beniers obviously, but you know, Michelli is probably going to be on more than a few ballots to, to, to be in that range. It's interesting with Arizona. I think when we came into the season, uh, a lot of people would have projected them to finish dead last in the league or be, be right in that mix. And there was a lot of players on that team who had, you know, above average expectation seasons that mitigated that. But Shelley was one of them. Uh, Barrett Hayton had a tremendous second half. I think he's going to finish with over 40 points this season. Lawson Krause scores 20 goals again. Clayton Keller has an absolute monster season. Um, so, you know, obviously that organization has a lot of pain ahead of them. But, you know, we're giving some Arizona love, some good things from them. Logan Cooley giving some love on the podcast today. Uh, yeah. it's going to take, going to take a while, going to take a while there, but I think there is some, at least a mild cause for optimism in the desert right now. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this, one of the knocks on Michelle's candidacy is going to be the, the goal total is, is lower yeah. relative to the sure. points, but I don't think anyone can look at Arizona and say, oh, he picked up a bunch of easy assists with this elite <laughs> supporting cast. You know, he's playing, I think most of his minutes were with Lawson Krause and Nick Bukestad. So it, I think it's fair to, to, 
almost, you know, nullify what would normally be the, the, the knock there. For sure. All right, let's get in now to uh, a future-looking tournament here. The, the World U18s right around the corner. Corey, you are going to be there. And as usual, it uh, seems like we're looking at the, the two powerhouses being uh, the from the United States and from Canada. I want to start with the U.S. team. They're the easy one. They've been together the whole year. They've been building toward this tournament for uh, the entirety of their two years at the program, other than a couple of uh, additions that we'll see. Uh, James uh, Hagens and, and Cole Eiserman are going to be high picks in future drafts, Corey. What's your top line uh, kind of headline for Team USA? Is, is this the clear favorite at the event? Uh, not the clear favorite. No, I think Canada is going to be really good, uh, especially depending if they leave some spots open and get some guys in the second round, maybe Braden Yeager or something like that, if, if he's available or other players. I think they're going to have a very competitive team. That I think there can be a lot of guys available who are part of that gold medal Holinka team as well. But USA will be very competitive. It's really interesting watching this team USA because obviously we everybody scouts these guys so much throughout the season. They are the most scouted team in junior hockey. Uh they go over many, you know, whether it's the international tournaments, USHL, college games, we there's so many opportunities to watch these guys. But yeah, when I talk to people around the league, there is no consensus among how to sort out the top prospects on this team. Yep. Meaning Will Smith, Ryan Leonard, uh Gabe Perot on the top line. Then you have Oliver Moore on the other line and even Danny Nelson. There are some people who are not fans, some people who are big fans of that player. And leaving Nelson aside for one second, those top four guys, Smith, Perot, Leonard, Moore, you could ask any scout to put those four guys in order. And a lot of them will have diff- very different orders. Most will have Smith as the one, but not everybody. Uh, and and Leonard, Moore, and Perot will definitely get a variety of orders, no matter, no matter who you ask. So I think this tournament, as it always does, will sort things out, whether you think it's the right process or not. I think depending on how those other guys perform and Nelson to an extent, I could see a path where Nelson has a really big tournament and plays his way into the first round. And I could see if he plays the way he has all year, which coming kind of up and down. He maybe stays as more of a second, third round pick. Yeah. So it it is interesting. This, this team in particular, and and then, you know, when we talk about the draft and those guys, th- those guys have taken a lot of the headlines um, and it's the, the kind of the secondary pieces of this team, which could be the difference between winning and losing in the end, um, you know, in, in terms of this, this, they, they have a decor that is good, not amazing. You know, they didn't, they didn't go pull from is outside. It good? I, I mean, it's good. It's good enough to win. You know, I think right. that they have, it's not, it's, if you're saying, well, in terms of draft prospects, it's not amazing. They've certainly gone to tournaments with better, decors they did add Cole Hudson from the under 17 team of course Lane Hudson's younger brother very dynamic player um you know but this is this is a team that that doesn't necessarily have a, a, a massive blue line if you you know don't include Brady Cleveland who is is massive um but you know like this is a, a group that, that that's going to be interesting and then I think also the the other you know guy that is a higher end prospect in this group is is going to probably be, end up being their most important player the Trey Augustine who has barely lost any games with this team this season. He ended up, you know, getting the starters role at the World Juniors, you know, tough semifinal against Canada, but really had some some incredible moments there. He did get the nod last year. He was in the in the nets, didn't have his best game in the gold medal game um against Sweden. And that certainly was a was a bad time for that. They end up getting the silver medal. But, you know, this is a this is a team like as as Corey said, you know, they're 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 somewhat vulnerable to Canada. I don't think they're very vulnerable to anybody else in the tournament. And I think that the tournament field as a whole outside of the U S and Canada is, you know, Corey, I mean, wouldn't you say like, this is one of the weaker 
out exterior fields that we've seen at this particular event. Well, yeah, you look at Finland's roster, who is the only team they've lost to internationally this season, the U.S., and I think like a third of their team is going to be underage. And, and part of that is because of Aaron Kiviharju and Konsta Hedelenius, who are very good underagers, but it's still a very young team. Uh, team Sweden is going to look like how the other, the other Team Sweden we've seen throughout the season. They have those three blue liners, Axel Sandin Pelika, Theo Lindstein, Tom Wallander will be important players. They have some good forwards. They're not going to have Felix Nielsen, uh, who was one of their best players at the last tournament. That's going to hurt them. So you're looking at Otto Stenberg, you're looking at Noah Dowen Nielsen. I think Anton Wahlberg's been a guy who's been trending within teams. Mm-hmm. And they're they're hoping he's gonna have a big tournament, played a big role in the relegation games for Brennus in the SHL, for example. Sorry, not with Brennus, with Malmo against Brennus. And so I think there's some hope. This will be a good team, but I it's not a great Sweden team. It's definitely not a great Finland team. The Czech team will need Edward Schale to have a huge tournament because he wasn't good in February. He was really good this at at the prior U18s. Although he did have Yuri Kulich, <laughs> he did have Yuri Kulich to play with, and who have, who was the MVP of the tournament. Uh, I believe they're going to have Jakub Dvorak back for this tournament. He has been injured with various uh, issues throughout the season, and I think he'll be available. That's, that's number one defenseman. That'll be huge. Uh, and of course, they're going to have Michael Rabal, the goaltender, in net. I think having Michael Rabal there and Carson Bjarnason, likely we're recording this before Canada's roster is announced, but I have to imagine Carson Bjarnason is the starting goalie. Uh, those are two potentially the, they, those could be the two uh, top selected goalies between them, Adam Guyon, Augustine. So you definitely will have a lot of top goalie prospects at this tournament. So my question for you guys is who's got the most to gain here at this tournament? There are, there are some guys who we expect to, to be solid first rounders, and I know they're going to get a lot of the attention. It could be one of them. If, if there's a guy who you think you know, could go in the late teens and could vault himself to top 10, that's certainly relevant here. But who, who are your guys with the most to gain at this tournament? Man, that is, that is, a tough, that is tough to project because, it, as Corey mentioned, the, the uncertainty, like you look at the, the top four NTDP forwards. Right. You know, one of those guys – could have the big tournament and be the guy that goes in the top five, in the top seven, whatever, you know, like there could be, so they all, they all have a lot to gain oddly enough against each other, you know, like <laughs> they're, they're, it's, it's kind of a weird dynamic in these tournaments and it's been a weird dynamic all year. You know, Will Smith needs Ryan Leonard and needs Gabe Perot as much as they need him. And they're all going to impact each other in some way in terms of their production in the tournament, whether or not they can win this thing, um, you know, there, there are a lot of different things and, and they're all different too. They're all different guys. Um, you know, Oliver Moore has spent a good chunk of the time playing with James Hagens and Cole Iserman on that second line. So that has helped him be more productive. He's spent a lot of time with Danny Nelson this year, you know, so those, I, I do think that those are the guys that have quite a bit to gain, um, you know, at least from the American standpoint. Um, but then there are others like they're bringing in Kerry Terrence from the Erie Otters from outside of the NTDP, who's a guy that has kind of hovered around. That second round debate, you know, he's going to be playing. He was on an Erie Otters team that, that wasn't very good this year. You know, can he come into this team and make some level of impact and, and showcase himself a little bit better? Sometimes those are the guys that stand out. I remember the first U18 tournament I ever did when I was still at USA Hockey. I think Kevin Lynch became, you know, a guy that might not get drafted to a second round draft pick in one mm-hmm. tournament. You know, like that. That's the kind of shift that can happen for some of these players. Um, you know, and so, you know, that's. It's tough to say, but I, I think the goalies also have a lot to gain. Trey Augustine, for sure, um, you know, playing against top competition. He's had to be alternate with Carson Musser 
um, and, and others throughout the season. So he hasn't had like a true number one season. He'll be the true number one at this tournament. So that's an important thing for him as well. But yeah, I mean, I, I'll be fascinated to hear some of Corey's answers too, because I, I just think more than ever, there's not a lot of separation among the top players on that team. And this could be the defining tournament to create that separation. For me, the most questions come down to the guys on Team Canada, because I think there's going to be a lot of guys on that team who you can go one way or another on based on how their CHL seasons went. Well, again, I'm recording this before the rosters come out, but given who I think will likely be on the team and presuming that he is healthy because he was injured later in the year, you know, how Kellen Ritchie performs in this tournament, for example, will be huge. He did not play well uh, with his club team in Oshawa this season. Had the great underage year, had a great Holinka. How does he do here? Lucas Dragasevich gets cut from the Holinka team, then has a monster season with Tri-City in the WHL. How does he perform here? Cam Allen comes in as maybe the top-ranked defenseman. Probably not going to go in the first round. May not even go in the second round, honestly. We had the draft right now. How does he perform here, those are those are big questions. Andrew Cristal, um, a guy we've debated, you know, every single episode it seems. How does he do in that yeah. environment? If he goes up against a Team USA, how does he handle the pace against a Team USA? Uh, you know, there's several other Canadian players I can mention, but I think there's going to be a lot of questions. I think on this Team Canada, uh, who will have some good underagers on this team to help support those guys. Uh, but I think it's the, that's the team that I'm the most curious of is can they be a dominant team? Can they beat Team USA? I think they could, especially if they get Colby Barlow, never mind Brayden Yeager, maybe a second-round ad. I think those are – they could be a really competitive team. I really like Chris's answer about Trey Augustine because I don't know that this got enough pop. I noticed this the other day. He very nearly just missed having the best U18 season in the program's history like by like a couple of like save percentage. I think he ended at 922. That's better than John Gibson – uh, Drew Camesso was one of the recent high ones, better than Jack Campbell. He lost up to Brett Bennett from 0506, who played <laughs> significantly fewer games uh, than he did. Now, I, I get what you're saying. There's the split, and, and you got to factor that in too. But he still played 27 games. That's that's pretty impressive. I don't. I didn't realize that, uh, and that maybe should have gotten more attention. He's had a great year. I obviously there is some mild concerns on the frame, projecting forward. Yep. And while I think he's a good athlete, I probably would not call him an exceptional athlete with his quickness. But he's a good goalie prospect. He is absolutely in the mix to be the first goalie selected. But yeah. uh, man, I don't – even if he has a big tournament, it's hard for me to see how much that's going to change the projection a little bit. Maybe in Chris or, or, or your minds it would change your opinion. But for me, I think – I expect him to have a big tournament because he's been an amazing junior goalie you know, the last two seasons. Yeah, I don't know that it would necessarily affect my projection a ton, but I just think that you know the, the opportunity to alleviate any questions – uh, remaining there, you know, especially in this, getting a chance to, you know, be a winning goalie here too is is another thing. Like, can he get this team over the hump? I mean, that that always seems to matter. The guys that ha- that, that win with you know trophies in the end, it always seems to, to give them a little bit of a boost at the end. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, fellas, let's get to the mailbag here. Some good ones today, starting with one from Jesse on what do you make of the development of Vasily Podkolzin? I recall when he was a top 10 pick and the way he was projected. Uh, that is not the player I see now. What do you make of that, Corey? Is that your, your assessment? Does he look like he's faded from your draft time projection? I think when you watch put Coles and you still see some of the things you saw when he was an amateur, you see that there's some good skill there. It's not game-breaking skill, but it's good skill. You see that he has some physicality, that he can get to the net. Uh, but the big concern in his draft year was the skating. And you know it was kind of a clumsy-looking stride. And you're like, okay, well, it's not amazing skating, but he still has good skill. He can still score. He's still kind of this bulldog mentality. He attacks. He's really physical. You know, maybe it will come with time. And I still kind of believe that. You saw when he was with Ska, for example, it took some time. It wasn't really till the very, very end when he was about to leave the KHL that he actually became an impactful player at the KHL, was one of the leading scorers in the KHL playoffs. And I think when you aren't a good skater, you know, we think of maybe Gabriel Velarde a little bit when I think of guys like this. It could take a couple of years because you need those guys to be physically mature and be able to win battles against men because they're not going to be able to beat them with their feet. So I have definitely some concerns on Pekolzin. The offense is not amazing, uh, at least so far in the NHL. Even the American League, I watched him. He was good. I wouldn't say he was amazing down there. And So there is definitely some concerns on him being a top 10 pick. But I still think this guy is going to be a very good player. I still think there's a lot of elements between the skill. He has good hockey sense. He can shoot the puck. He plays hard. Uh, I still think he is a good player and will have a, a productive NHL career, but I think if you're looking at him and saying, well, can he be an impact guy for us? I think there is some reasonable apprehension on him. And I understand if you're a Vancouver fan, watching how the seasons for him and frankly, Niels Hoglander went this year, you're not overly thrilled. All right. Adam N wants to know with the amount of prospects the Devils have that are ready for the show, how big of a risk do they take with their free agents this offseason? Would replacing guys like Severson and Graves with rookies, uh, Luke Hughes obviously would be the big one of there, maybe Simon Nemitz, uh, hurt the momentum from this season? So I guess this question basically boils down to how ready to be an impact guy in a playoff team are Hughes and, and maybe Nemitz? We'll, we'll go here to Chris first. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's an interesting one because, I mean, the, the style of play, you know, in terms of you know playing in, in the playoffs is, yes. is a very different thing. Um you know, like I, I don't think that Luke Hughes is going to be able to step in this season and be, you know, be the guy. But I think with a with a year of development as he's going and and playing in the NHL and getting reps against NHL players, you know, I think that he'll be he'll be fine. You know, he's he's continued to physically develop. He's continued to get stronger. He's continued to you know be able to to take contact and and play the hard heavy games, um, like we saw you know in the, this season. A lot of teams keyed on him. A lot of teams tried to forecheck him hard. It didn't really seem to bother him that much. So, you know, I think by the time they get to next season, the next the next playoff run, you know, I do feel like a little more confident that he'd be able to do it. I'm not as confident in Nemec in that way. Um, you know, I think that he is uh, still still developing, still figuring out things. You know, I, I think 
I think there's there's definitely evidence that he's developing and 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 adjusting, but like that would be a risk. But I but I do think that you know in terms of what the Devils are going to do, maybe it's a, an opportunity to have a stopgap. You know, I don't know that you're going to necessarily extend those guys or you know try to try to you know you're you're going to replace them in some way. It might not be with both Nemich and Hughes next season, but I think that as you are taking steps as an organization, you can't have that view of can we compete immediately next year. It's got to be more. What is the best? What is the best way to set us up long term? You know, in, yeah. in the window where Jack Hughes is is as effective as he is, and all of these different things. So, you know, I I, I think that it's still just going to take time. And you'll know. And I think the other thing too is that by the time the trade deadline rolls around next year, you're going to have a better idea of how close Luke Hughes is and how close Simon Nemich is, and then you have opportunities to potentially find those stop gaps that'll help you. You know at least stay competitive and keep your, your organization progressing without sacrificing the future. I also wonder about the role of Kevin Ball going forward a little bit too. Mm-hmm. I know he's not mm-hmm. playing big minutes, but when I watch them, he's listed in their top four right now. And I can see, I'm not saying he's going to be this good a player, but there are some similarities between how he and Ryan Graves look and mm-hmm. play a little bit to where I can see them leaning on him a little bit more going forward to play bigger minutes in following seasons. What's interesting, I, I do think Luke is going to have a couple little growing pains at the beginning, especially you know as he kind of learns what risks uh, he he may already know and just didn't didn't have to worry about it as much at the college. There's some risks at the offensive blue line there that we're going to have to get ironed out, right? Him and Dougie Hamilton should be on the same deep pair. That would be uh, a lot of adventures. <laughs> It'll be all good for for the Devils fans long term. Uh, Anonymous wants to know: Will the Buffalo Sabers? When a playoff series next year, they have been one of the most fun teams to watch this entire season. Uh, I think they will be in the playoffs. Will they win a playoff series next year? I think the big that question comes down to goaltending. I think they need to make changes at the goalie position going forward, and and I'll be really curious to see what that depth chart looks like going into camp. Um, they have some guys, you know, like UPLs and solid organizational player. Devin Levi's had some good moments, you know, in the few games he's played. I'm not ready to sit here and confidently tell you he's ready to carry the load next season. I probably wouldn't say that to be quite honest. So I'll be really curious to see what they do at the goalie position. Because I felt like if they got like average, never mind above average league goaltending this season, I feel like they would have been a playoff team. Is Tristan Jari not the perfect ad for them? I mean, he's coming off of a rocky year, but you got Levi. If you were to go get Tristan Jari, there's some upside there and you have some insulation with Levi. That I don't could like be a really Jari that I don't like yeah, Jari that yeah, much. Huge injury risk too. I, I don't. But you got Levi. I, if, if if the answer to my question of they need to fix their goaltending, you tell me their top two goalies coming next year are Jari and Levi. That is not the answer I was looking for. I think it's for. better than it was this year. I think you got okay. All right, fine. I'll take the I'll take that one. Uh, <laughs> Joseph says you left Riley Height off your prospect ranking so far when other guys are rating him in as a first round pick. What about his game is keeping you from having him a first round pick? I assume that one's addressed to Corey. Yes, it is. Um, and I would say that I'm, I've am i moved him up a little bit since the last one just because of how well he ended the year and how good he was in the first round series against uh, Tri-City. Uh, the big issue with me is skating. Is He is a 5'10", 5'11", forward who is a mediocre skater, which is a concern of the profile, especially when I would not call his compete a major asset. Uh, but his skill and his hockey sense, his vision are all you know excellent. And when I watch him, I think I, when at least lately, the profile I'm thinking of is Morgan Frost a little bit right now, both 
the guy in the NHL and the guy we saw as a prospect who went around that 30, I think-ish spot in the NHL draft. And I do wonder if that's roughly where height ends up because I think there will be people who will shy away from him with a top, with a high first round pick, definitely because of the size and the skating. Um, but I think given just how much offense he's shown, uh, I think you have to at least consider him as a late first, maybe early second type of player. Uh, next one is from Done Messed Up, who says, which potential first rounders this year would you say have the most aggression or snarl in their game? A la Tom Wilson, Jacob Truba, and the Kachuk boys. A lot of kind of unicorn stuff there, Chris, but who's got the most snarl in the first round? Man, there's, a, there's some good ones. Honestly, like one of the guys that I think plays the most aggressive, mean brand of hockey is, is Adam Fantilli. Like, I, I, I love the way he plays. I mean, you know, like he, he is that kind of guy. And that, I think it's part of the reason that he remains so high is that Fantilli is aggressive. He is physical. He is, he just does not quit on pucks. You know, we haven't seen a fighting major <laughs> in college hockey in I like, like a legitimate one where the gloves and cages are off and there are punches thrown. I don't remember the last time that happened. I'm sure it's happened in, in games that I might not have seen, but he plays and and that's always been the case with him. He he runs hot. He really does throughout the game and uh and and it, and he channels it well. I mean there are other guys that I think are physically aggressive, are mean. Like Ryan Leonard is a guy that plays very physically. He's, I don't know that he necessarily plays angry like Adam Fantilli does, but he he's got you know, he gets under guy's skin. He's often, you know, in on the forecheck making a good plays with the physicality, you know, Guys that that I wouldn't want to necessarily go into a corner with, like I think Colby Barlow is another one where I'm just like I don't know if I want to mess with that guy. Um, but yeah, but I mean to me, Fantilli, one of the reasons why it's not just because of the skill or or the the size profile, it's because he does play that old school kind of in your face brand of hockey. He didn't really play that way. I felt this season in college, but I still feel Charlie Stramel ticks that box. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to go back and watched some of his USHL games and see, compare the physicality. And in the USHL, he killed people. Like he, oh, yeah. he was a murderer in the USHL. And, you know, college hockey, it's hard as an 18-year-old to do that against 22, 23-year-olds. So I, I think this is a guy who can have that kind of projection and be that kind of player. Another one I would throw would be Kalen Lind. I think mm-hmm. Kalen Lind yeah. plays that kind of game as well. And I think he will be appealing to NHL teams uh, maybe earlier than some think because of the fact that he has that element in his game. Yeah, that's a really good one too. All right, double barrel one here. Uh, Boucher for Calder says, what's Oliver Moore's ceiling and who do you think is the best NHL comp for him? And Don Volman wants to know, do you see him making it past pick seven? Which is a pretty, make it a past pick seven, that's a pretty high bar there. <laughs> well, my comp for him, at least as of now, was Alex Newhook. And Newhook went like 15, 16, <laughs> And if we redid that draft, is he going higher, lower, right around there? A little lower, maybe. Around there, maybe. I think, I, 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 think, I, I think he's probably similar in that range. I think it was a fair range. Yeah, so um, maybe you just get the comp. But I think because the reason I have that is I think, like Newhook, I think Moore is an exceptional skater. I think he works hard. I think he has good skill. But I think like Newhook, there's always the concern of can he be the, the skill guy on a line in the NHL? Is he going to put up big offensive numbers? Is he going to be the guy who runs a power play unit? You know, I, I'm guessing the answer is no. And given he's 5'11", those are some mild concerns. So I think I, I, I would say over if you told me over under my over center, if you told me over under 10, I guess he goes slightly under there. But uh, probably a little bit more closer to reality. 
yeah, I don't have I don't have much to add on that. Yeah, because I think that is that is really he he is a he is a tough guy to to get a to get a fully like gate. I've watched him a ton this year, and I just sometimes I I think I see a player that I you know seven seems okay. There are play, there are more times where I see a player that you know I think he's a you know that that ten to fifteen round ten ten to fifteen kind of range, um, which is still incredible. But you know, just in this class, it's it's very tough. The Oliver Moore optimist, which on this show may be me, uh, is going to tell you that there's he's a little bit bigger than Newhook, and and that a comp that's not also that far off from in the draft year was Dylan Larkin. Yeah, uh, I don't. I'm not saying Dylan Larkin six one, Moore's five eleven. There there is a little bit of of difference in that. But if you're a believer, that's what you're seeing, right? Like that, if you're talking about ceiling, it's probably something. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to get 80 points like Larkin has this year, but yeah, that's, that's probably what you're hoping for. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, I mean, that, that's an optimist view for sure. Yeah, you're, you're. I mean, the big issue of more whether you're the pessimist or the optimist will point to the fact that he hasn't been the top power play guy at all. He yeah. hasn't played with though. He hasn't played with Smith, Perot, Leonard at all this season. And if you were a pessimist, you'll say, "Well, there's a reason for that. Is yeah. because." They don't trust him to make plays on that power play unit. And the optimist will be like, well, there's only so many spots. And, you know, like Larkin, he didn't play on the top power play unit either with Jack Eichel, right. Sonny Milano, Alex Tuck. And and he had a nice little career after that. Yeah, there there are so many rhymes with with the Larkin season. You know, like there there isn't a Jack Eichel ahead of him, but there's still the the top line that he's still not on. Um but yeah, but I mean, and the other thing too is, I, I mean, just one of the absolute blazing speedsters of this draft, which is another major, you know, kind of check the box of the Dylan Larkin comp. But yep. uh, yeah, but pretty, pretty, pretty impressive player overall. I'll say what, what swung me from kind of being in that 15-ish range to thinking I think he should go in the top 10 is I, I really, I really believe in the shot. I think it's a major asset for him. And, and whether that allows you to run a power play, you know, it's not the only thing, but I, I think the shot's an asset. The guys with... Big time shots only score seven goals in like twenty five USHL games. No, maybe not. I don't know. I, I'm just saying what I'm well, seeing. I mean, again, though, when you're not the on the top play power thing. play, uh, when no, you're not on the top power, yeah, yeah. No, and he's had he's scored a really couple of really nice goals this year from range, but it's an inter- but it's an interesting counterpoint. I, mean, I think his, like I say, you can find people in the league who are on both extremes of this one. Yeah. All right, uh, good debate. Joe wants to know which teams would go from missing to making the playoffs next year if they were to land Connor Bedard. This is an interesting needle of the thread. Are we a hundred percent sure he has that kind of impact in year one? I think we're. I think that's part of the question. I think part of. I think part of the. I think part of the answer to this question, which is difficult, is is that it does a lot of it depends on what's around him, right? A lot of a lot more of it. A lot more of it depends on what's around him versus what he actually can do. Um, one of the teams that I am interested in on this front because of all the injuries they had, like is Columbus. If I'm looking at Columbus right now and I'm saying, seeing, you know, Johnny Goudreau is there. Patrick line is there. Will they be healthy? You know, Zach Wierenski will have a full season next year. Will they have, you know, they, they have pieces in place there. You know, this, this is a year where they, very much undershot where we thought they would be. I think that's one of the teams where there is more around him that would be able to support a player like Connor Bedard, where he can go in and be an impact player, but he doesn't have to be the impact player. I think that a team that needs him to be the impact player is not going to make the playoffs next year. I don't think, I think he's a very good, he's, he is special. There is no question about it, but asking him, you know, 
he's he doesn't have that you know that pace of a of a McDavid where he's going to come in and just light the world on fire. He does have a brilliant shot. He's going to make a lot of plays. He's going to be very good. But to me, as I look around, I said you're going to have to be a team that wins the lottery that already has some pieces in place. And to me, that team is Columbus. But then there's a lot of questions about goaltending and everything else. There's there's plenty there. But I, I think that that's a team that might have the structure to potentially do it. My answer is kind of a cop out because it's the teams that are obviously not at the very bottom. It's the teams, you know, towards the precipice of that. Yep. I think it's 10 spot range that you can jump up. I think if Washington gets him, Detroit, St. Louis, uh, Vancouver, I think those ones are kind of dependent based on how next, the next day play out. And we may be recording before the final order is set. But if one of those teams, which I think have legitimate talent on their team, you know, legit, you know, are, are not you know, or maybe more of like a one or two or three key pieces away from making being a consistent playoff team. I think that would those would be organizations. Like imagine you plug him into Vancouver. Like that would change their lineup in such a significant way. I, I think you shouldn't say that because it, it only is going to hurt Canucks fans <laughs> more when it doesn't happen. I may like honestly, like you look at that team right now, how they weren't taking for this player since Thanksgiving. Is beyond me. I think that they, but, they did. But I just mean because like this isn't a bad team. I don't think the Canucks are a bad team. I, know I don't either. Of, I, I don't think. I know there's been a lot of crap written about them, but I think they got like what like a top 10, 15 offense in the league. I don't think Demko is going to be this bad again going forward. Like this, that would have been a unique opportunity. You're right. I think you add them into Detroit's lineup, and I think you know Max yep. will know that change that would change that team significantly. You add them to Washington's lineup and a team that's going in the other direction. All of a sudden, it goes back right back in the right direction, kind of thing. So. Those would be organizations that come to mind, but of course, they're extreme long shots to win the lottery. Those are the eleven, though. The, the teams that are twelve and beyond, the, the the bottom eleven currently can't catch. So those are the eleven. You won't see any movement there. I like I like Columbus. I think that's a good answer. Honestly, the West factor here makes me kind of want to say San Jose, especially because I think they would keep Eric Carlson in that case. But I just think there's too much still missing there, particularly in net, for me to feel good about saying that. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that, Max. Yep. All right. Uh, next one is from Nathan, who wants to know your thoughts on Zach Benson and who would be a good NHL comparable to you. Corey, we've debated this one offline, uh, I think, ad nauseum. So I'm just going to start with you here. Yeah, I think the names that I've really thought of when watching the NHL have been Jonathan Marchessault. If you're maybe a little more tepid on the projection and if you're a real big believer, then it would be Matt Zuccarello. Uh, both of them are not you know, the most amazing skaters in the world for being small guys, but they both have tremendous skill, hockey sense. They compete hard, and there's more of a kind of a degree there. But there haven't been a whole lot of guys that look like that that have been super high draft picks. The one that I was thinking of lately, and maybe Chris can be curious to hear your comments, is how would he compare to Jacob Peltier? Maybe uh, because I think of, and I think he's a better player than Jacob Peltier was at the same age. Um, but Jacob Pelche also five nine five ten winger, uh, put up huge numbers in the queue as a, as a sixteen year old and a seventeen year old, uh, highly competitive player, not an amazing skater for that size. Um, and I and I see I can connect some dots there. You can connect dots to Marco Rossi too, but I think the issue with Rossi and Pelche is you don't exactly know how their careers are going to play out. Right, uh, right. Just quite yet. Rossi, I know, just got called up recently for the for the end of the wild season. Uh, and Pelche played with the Flames, had a good year, didn't have an amazing year, uh, but he was really, really good in the American League. Yeah, that Pelche one is interesting, and it's not one that would have immediately come to mind, maybe because he's still so early in his career, but still, it's an interesting one. I, I mean, I, I personally think that 
you know, of of the players that we're talking about, the 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 compete level and the and the defensive sense of Benson as a player is 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 significantly higher um, uh, on all fronts. Um, then Zuccarello, then then Zuccarello, yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah, and because I all think right. the reason the reason that I think that Benson's defensive sense is so to me is such a such an asset is how quickly he turns that into an attack. I think okay. he does that better than anybody in this class. Of I, of, I, I wasn't really commenting on Zuccarello's defenses. I meant like you think he's a significantly better competitor than Zuccarello. Oh no, 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 no! I wouldn't say that, but I would say his defensive capabilities, his stick. His ability to turn pucks over, I think that that's something he he does and will do better as a pro um, mm-hmm. than Zuccarello did. As much as I, but yeah, compete aside, it's hard to it's hard to beat Zuccarello's motor. Um, and I would not put so yeah. If I did like make that suggestion, let me recant that now. But the but I think that the the thing that impresses me so much about Benson is just that ability. He he is always around the puck. He is on it. And and then he is able to turn, you know, those turnovers into dangerous situations immediately. We've seen it time and time again where direct plays leading to goals um, throughout this season. I'm very high on him, even though, and a lot of it has to do with the compete, the defensive sense, the defensive stick, and then on top of that, the vision, the skill, all those other things. And yes, the skating remains a concern. It remains one of those things where you know it's going to prevent him from being you know a, a super super high pick. But I think there are going to be a lot of teams there. I actually think Corey, you know, as I'm thinking about how I view him as a draft prospect, you making making mention of Marco Rossi, that was always one of the things that kind of stood out to me about Rossi is that you know the skating was okay, but the, there was a lot of compete there. He was winning a lot of puck battles and corners. He was doing a lot of those things that that you know would allow him to create the kind of offense that he had as a as a player. So I think that that is actually you know in range. And then obviously, I think with with Marco Rossi, we're never going to have the full picture of you know what happened to him during the COVID thing is always going to be looming as to what, what exactly was possible before and after that. But at the same time, I think in terms of pure draft season there, that does make a lot of sense to me. That one makes a little more sense to me than, than Peltier though. I think that that's now that you've said that and it put that in my mind, it, it doesn't, it doesn't sound too far off for me. How far off is he from another guy from that draft class who, whose big selling point was his sense, and that's Cole Perfetti had the skating question. I don't know if Perfetti's compete is on, on Benson's no, level, but how, right. how far off is that? Compete would be better, and Perfetti is probably like an inch, inch and a half taller too. Yeah, and yeah, just the, there was just such smooth – yeah, and the hockey sense was always definitely the biggest thing for me with, with Perfetti. Like I even had him ahead of, of Lucas Raymond looking back on that, not loving that. Uh, on their ledger, yeah. but you know, but yeah, but that was that was one of the things where I, I view that as a separating factor. I think Benson's in the range, but I I would say you know in terms of the the pure offensive sense that Perfetti had, I still would have had him ahead in that regard. I would agree with that. I say his sense is better, but I also would say his feet, Perfetti's feet, were Worse. heavier yep. than Benson's. And I think that's Correct. that's, and I think the jury. How do we feel about Perfetti right now? I know he's been injured for a lot a lot of years. I like him. Has, He's actually had several injuries in his pro career, which is not ideal. But like, I think, right. I mean, I think there was a big debate about that because of the size of the skating. And I don't know if that debate has been one thousand percent settled, even though he looks like an excellent player so yeah, far. Not at all. Not not at all. I agree with you. I think that the debate has not settled, and that that you know, and the other thing too is when we talk about players with you know where we are concerned about size, it's not all just about can they fight off a forecheck or can they fight off a defender. It's can they stay healthy. 
Um, yep. And at this point, that has not been the case for Cole Perfetti. Mac Blackwood's left heel says, is this peak Jack Hughes or does he have another level he can get to? Obviously, he's got a good chance to finish top five for the MVP this year. It's hard to go too much higher than that, but he is still a young player. What do you guys think, Chris? I think he's got another gear. I really do. Um, been watching think- him for, for a while. Um, I don't think this is the this is not his going to be his best season. I think this is the peak. Doesn't mean he can't repeat it, but I don't think I don't think like he's like 110, 120 point guy or something like that. No, he he's 100. I I I I I will put money that he'll have a 110 point season. All right. I like this. We'll settle this off air. Uh, what you'll often see though, and I, I think this is where the tricky part with uh, with this kind of question is, you'll often see guys have their best statistical like point production season around in that 23, 24 year. But I think you can make an argument that several of them are better players at 26, 27, even if they got five, 10 less points. Makes it a little tricky. Uh, but we are going to hold you guys to this 110-point bet. So we'll, we'll settle that uh, when we wrap up here. Last one for today. And this one's kind of a wild question that I just loved and wanted to get in here. Chris, we're going to go to you with this one. Uh, how would you go about filling the Chicago Wolves roster without an NHL affiliation? This is a fascinating situation that, that Chicago is going to go independent not have an NHL affiliate, that obviously means there's not going to be any draft picks coming into them. How would you go about filling out a roster like this? Well, there, there's going to be a number of different ways that this happens. And the first is, you know, there are limits. You have to have a certain number of developmental players on your roster. Developmental players, there's, yeah, I, I believe the most recent definition of that is fewer than 260 professional games in the NHL, right. NHL, AHL, and European elite leagues. Um, and so you know, basically they, they, there are certain exemptions and different things like that. There's the, the other thing about the wolves, and this was actually true when they were in the international hockey league as well. And this is kind of like, this is the way that they came up as an organization where there was no salary cap they could spend. And, and that's, they're going to spend on veteran players. They're going to be key guys that are career AHL players that are going to be on this roster, that they're going to use their veteran spots on, that they're going to pay a lot of money to to be on there. They're going to make, they're going to be the highest paid players in the AHL in terms of AHL salary. Um not got notwithstanding guys that are on one ways that got bought out and are making millions in the AHL. Um uh, or whatever else have you. But so there's that. There's also the opportunity for teams to loan there there would not be a, a restriction on loaning from other organizations to this team. So that is one another way where they're going to get that out. Um if we look across, you know, you look at different organizations, they have a logjam at goaltending you know, that may be a way that they go through. I think there could potentially be some NHL veterans who are at the end of their career that could be in those positions as well. The question is going to be, will NHL teams feel comfortable sending their affiliate players there? Um, that is that is going to be the, another question. I think there's also going to be a run on college and, and uh, junior free agents, players that do not have that, um, that professional standing players that they can still develop. And then, you know, back in the day, the IHL was actually a place where draft prospects played from time to time. Radic Bonk and Patrick Stefan played in the IHL before then. So we could uh, see a little bit of that as well. Um, not necessarily like you, it could be more European players. I'm not exactly sure exactly how that's going to work out. It is going to be a big challenge, but the Wolves have always kind of run. You know, they've been independently owned for forever. They came in under the IHL, AHL merger. They are a team with a lot of money. Don Levin is one of the richest owners in minor league sports, period. Um, and he cares a great deal about that franchise. Um, so yeah. 
It's very strange. I think that it's going to take a long time for us to figure out how it all works. The Wolves have operated a couple of times where they shared affiliations with multiple teams. They they had Vegas and St. Louis one year, and so that was a kind of a weird balance. So they're you know you're you're serving a bunch of different masters if you do start taking in loaned players, but they're going to have to. There's no there's no way around that. Um, it's just going to be will NHL teams and other organizations be willing to loan their players there, um, and, and how does that all play out? But there is it, it is a fascinating dynamic there, but not very surprising that the Wolves went this route because this is kind of within their culture as an independent team. I mean, they won a ton of championships in the IHL days. It's actually the team I grew up, you know, their first season, I was like 10 years old and they were amazing. It was like, you know, they were out drawing the Blackhawks for a period of time. I don't think that'll ever happen again, but um, this is a very unique situation. One that I'm actually kind of intrigued by uh, to see how they do it. But I think the ways that I mentioned, those are the ways they're going to have to fill out the roster um, and and we'll have to kind of see exactly how it all plays out. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of hand-wringing at AHL meetings coming up soon. Um, you know, Scott Housen, there's, there's been a lot of pressure on him as well already. Um, this is going to be a, a, a real challenge for the league to get their hands around, but I think it's a fascinating uh, kind of time and place in minor league hockey where, you know, this is an opportunity for, for a team to kind of go out on their own when we've we're only used to the 32 affiliations and and everything else but the ahl teams they they can matter coachella valley's doing really well henderson's doing really well you know in terms of drawing fans and everything and and the wolves probably want to get back there somehow i agree it's going to be fascinating to watch play out that is going to do it for us thanks for listening to this episode of the athletic hockey show prospect series you can follow us on youtube at youtube.com slash at the athletic hockey show you can also catch more of Chris over at Flow Hockey and on his podcast, Talking Hockey Sense. And right now, you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for just $1 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Talk to you soon.